The year is 2007. You're standing in an F1 paddock, looking at two gorgeous red Scuderia Ferraris. One of them is driven by the guy who's eventually going to win the entire thing this year. Kimi Raikkonen, AKA the Iceman, had his best year in Formula One in 2007. He won the championship over stars like Sebastian Vettel, Fernando Alonso, and some rookie hot shoe named Lewis Hamilton. But right now, you don't know that because in this little fever dream we're having, you're a Formula One reporter and your job is to get an interview with Kimi Raikkonen. But before you can even turn your microphone on, the Iceman has walked right past you. Lord knows where he's going. He's Kimi Raikkonen, he does what he wants. And you've just missed your chance to interview him. Now, we're gonna travel four years into the future. This time you're standing on Pitt Road at a gleaming quad oval racetrack just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. And once again, you're a pit road reporter tasked with interviewing Kimi Raikkonen. But this is a NASCAR truck race. Why would you be here? Maybe it's that burrito you ate at one o'clock in the morning that's causing this particular delusion. Wait, actually, Kimi Raikkonen is here. And another pit road reporter is shouting Finnish phrases at him. Why is this happening? What is going on? Why is Kimi Raikkonen at a NASCAR track running in a truck series race. Today on Stagger, we're gonna find out why a Formula One legend was banging doors in NASCAR's third division. Turns of loose coming into the front stretch. Tommy changed the entire throttle system last night, the night before a race. Oh, he can't do that. But we wanna thank you tonight for these mighty machines that you brought before. Welcome to Stagger, where we explore motorsports heroes, legends, and myths. I'm JD Smith, joined by my brother Derek Smith. Before we get started, a quick word. Thank you to everyone who continues to check out the podcast. We are seeing amazing growth. You guys rock. Thank you so much for checking this out and telling people about this podcast. If you haven't done that yet, of course, you can always follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Stagger Podcast. Like some of the posts that we have there, share some of them. That helps get the word out about our podcast. You can also leave us a review if your podcast app lets you do that. And finally, make sure you hit subscribe on the podcast app that you listen to so you never miss an episode. We'll put a new one out every Wednesday so you don't want to miss it because you might just miss crazy stories like the one we're going to talk about today. All right, Derek, this is a pretty easy one. What comes to mind when I say the name Kimi Raikkonen to you? Uh, well, I know that, he, that he's a Formula One driver. He is funny in his own way. And I, being the NASCAR truck fan that I am, remember him for one thing, specifically the perky jerky truck. You, <laughs> come on. You know more about Kimi Raikkonen than perky jerky truck. If, if I ever meet him in person, I carry a pack of perky jerky with me at all times. No, you stop. I, I actually, do. I actually had, some, I saw some in the gas station the other day, and I tried some perky jerky, and it was, it was delicious. I didn't know they were still around, but good product I, there. I just want to get a selfie with me, Kimi, and a and a bag of perky jerky. That's that's <laughs> my like on my, my bucket list. So you're obsessed with this, so I'm not really going to be educating yes. you a lot on this today. Well, a little bit. I mean, there's there's some things I probably have forgotten over the years that I really do want to get schooled up on, but the idea of this world renowned. F1 driver coming over to Charlotte for NASCAR. You're thinking, oh, cool, cup. No, 
okay, cool. Nationwide at the time. No. Trucks. <laughs> yeah, it's just not what you expect from him. It was a weird time for him to do this. So that's what we're going to talk about today is why did Kimi Raikkonen, the 2007 world champion, Formula One world champion, why four years after that was he in NASCAR racing a truck? He actually didn't just race a truck. He also raced a nationwide car, now an Xfinity car, you know, Bush series, second series of NASCAR, however you call it. That's he did. He did race a stock car as well as a truck. So he did two disciplines. Do you and you know what track they were both at? Uh, Charlotte Motor Speedway. That's right. right. We'll get to those races and we'll talk about all that in a little bit. Um, But let's set up. So do you know why he was available to even run in this race in the first place? No, I actually don't know that. Okay, let's start there. Kimi Raikkonen broke into Formula One in 2001, the Australian Grand Prix. He initially drove for Sauber, then moved over to McLaren. From 2002 to 2006, he drove for McLaren. After the 2006 season, McLaren, he parted ways with them and moved over to Ferrari. He became teammates with Felipe Massa, who had been driving for Ferrari since 2006. Raikkonen was brought in to replace Michael Schumacher, so big shoes to fill there. And behind him at McLaren, Fernando Alonso was brought in to take his seat. So Kimi Raikkonen leaves McLaren to go to Ferrari. Fernando Alonso goes to McLaren to take his seat. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Yes, makes sense. After a pretty rocky season there, Alonso then left at the end of 2007 and returned back to Renault, where he had been previously. So at the end of September of 2009, that's when it was confirmed that Fernando Alonso was coming in as Kimi Raikkonen's replacement to Ferrari for 2010. But Kimi Raikkonen still had a year left on his contract. So there's a lot of reasons why this probably happened. One of the first reasons is probably the fact that Ferrari, they had a hookup with Spanish bank Santander, which is the sponsor that you saw on that car for a little bit of time. They were also the sponsor with Alonso. They kind of have followed him around. Obviously, he's a Spaniard. Right. They're from Spain. It they they supported him. So there was money involved that kind of made it an easy choice for Ferrari to say, well, we've got this big money coming in. He's obviously a great driver in his own right. We're going to bring him in. Um, meanwhile, the other part of this that was weird was they had two drivers under contract at Ferrari. They had Kimi Raikkonen for 2010, and they had Felipe Massa. Massa was doing really well. Um, In fact, he was probably doing better than Raikkonen from 2008 to 2009. 28 races from the 08 Australian GP to the 09 German GP. Felipe Massa outqualified Kimi Raikkonen 16 to 12 and outscored him by 119 points to 85. Jeez, that's a lot of one. That's you know, huge, like that, right? That's, and that's, a, that's the, a clear cut one and two driver. Except the one was the number two. Right. And the, <laughs> the guy who's the, the number two was the one getting the number one points. So that was a bad look for Kimi Raikkonen. So it wasn't just about the money coming in with Fernando Alonso. It was performance based as well. And like I said, some people had doubts about why wow, he didn't really defend his title in 2008 early on as well as we thought he would. He had bad luck, like I said, too. But um, it all worked out that Raikkonen found himself out of contract um, and looking for another ride in 2010. So <laughs> he was offered by Ferrari because they had a contract. They had to buy him out. They offered him $10 million if he got another 
ride for 2010. So they would give him $10 million if he got another ride. If he didn't, they'd give him $17 million, which imagine just being told, if you don't get a job, we're going to have to be forced <laughs> to give you $17 million. Like, but so oh, that's that's what made this decisions, a decisions, decisions, decisions. Yeah, that's what made it an interesting <laughs> one for Kimi Raikkonen. So he wanted to go back to McLaren. They only wanted to pay him five million dollars, which combined with the ten million would make it a fifteen million dollar deal. Obviously, fifteen million dollars is less than seventeen million dollars. Part of this was Kimi Raikkonen's management. They were very unhappy with that offer. They basically said, hey, the Ferrari money shouldn't count. You should pay him whatever you were going to pay any driver that you would hire for this spot. And of course, McLaren's like, but we know he's making $10 million. So this is 5 million, it's 15 million. Kimi Räikkönen, it was, he made 2 million more dollars by not driving with them, by not driving with anyone than he would have made if he'd gone to McLaren. So Jensen Button ended up being the guy that they worked it out to get in. So that is why Kimi Räikkönen, after 2009, he was not doing anything. Um, so 2010 and part of 2011, he spent his time doing rally racing. He initially was with another factory team and then just decided to kind of strike out on his own, do his own thing. He did pretty well at this, but he was also looking for other opportunities. So that brings us to May of 2011. And that is where we get into his first race in a NASCAR series. The very first race he drove in was Friday, May 20th, Charlotte Motor Speedway. It was the 2011 North Carolina Education Lottery 200, in case you want to look it up on YouTube and go watch it. The GP of North Carolina (laughs) Education 200. That's what you mean. (laughs) Well, well, and then what would we call the turns? Like turn one is the humpy and turn, I don't know. Like we have to name it after like famous promoters and drivers there yeah i have no idea the grit the uh formation lap there was like four of them Uh, (laughs) they all follow double file behind a pace car it's very cars movie-esque life imitating art kimi got the chance to do this um with kyle bush motorsports kind of helping secure some of this he initially was going to do these two races, the truck series race that I talked about, and then a nationwide series race. I watched the truck series, and first things first, he started 31st in this race, finished 15th. Pretty good, right? For the first time ever being yeah. in this type of vehicle yeah. and never having seen this track and all that stuff, uh, he did get to practice and qualify, unlike you know what you would have now. But he moved up and, and did pretty well and got a 15th place finish. I think all told, that's a, a pretty good day. If if you go back and watch the video, though, here's the thing that I thought was kind of weird. And I I know they do this with everybody. I think it's a played out, tired cliche. I know you you acknowledge this stuff that it was Clint Boyer giving away his his money back then, too. No, Clint Boyer was in this race. Actually, Clint Boyer was in this race. He finished second to Kyle Busch um, in the Ollie's bargain outlet Chevrolet driving for Kevin Harvick. They had it. Well, you know what? Let me play a little clip for you here. Here's a sample of what you heard when you listen to the broadcast. They wanted to make sure you knew that he is from Finland and they they made a big point to talk about all that stuff. It's been amazing to see all of the press that has been here this weekend to cover Kimi Räikkönen's NASCAR debut. I've been practicing my finish, so let me try this. Hauska Tavata. <laughs> no, it's okay. I mean... Uh... Ah. <laughs> So cringy. So now we know why Ray Dunlap shaved his mustache. 
<laughs> he probably had to save face. I love the Kimmy where he's just like, ah, okay. Uh, like, you can just tell he's like, why did I do this? Like, I don't really want to well, be and, here. And I mean, like, you have you have Will Buxton, you have all the illustrious uh, European media, and, and Ray Dunlap is a great guy. Oh, I yeah. I do have to say I there is that. a fun transition from, you know, Paddock at Monaco to the pit road at Charlotte Motor Speedway with Ray Dunlap interviewing you before a truck race. It's a weird thing, right? I wonder if Jimmy Spencer ever got a chance to give him a crying towel, you know, like (laughs) try explaining that whole thing in NASCAR race hub to the Kimi Raikkonen. It just (laughs) it wouldn't work, right? It wouldn't make sense. No. Did Michael Waltrip do a segment naked with him in a sauna? (laughs) There was... (laughs) I tell you, oh, is it getting hotter? It's it feels hotter. Guys, you know, I got in this sauna and it, guys, this sauna is hot. Sauna. They make them was, hot. This sauna they, is a warm thing. Did you know that? Like Michael Waltrip just likes to say the obvious thing. He's like, guys, they're going into that turn. They're going real fast. It's like we oh, wait, wait. We're watching Darryl a race. Wal- Daryl Waltrip. Boogity, 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 boys. He oh, shows up and walks. No? Okay. No. All no, right. it's a it's a sauna. Don't make it's it anything sauna. it's not. It's a sauna. It's a sauna. It's a sauna. sauna. All right, so started 31st, finished 15th in the truck race. Kimi Raikkonen feeling good about himself. So that was Friday, May 20th. By the way, I'd like to point out, over 10 years have passed since this happened. So that's how long ago this was. You stop it with your lies right now. One week later, Saturday, May 28th, he drove in the perky jerky Toyota Nemco Motorsports car prepared by Kyle Busch Motorsports. Joe Nemechek owned the car. Uh, KBM put it together and made it go fast or fast-ish. That particular race was called the Top Gear 300. So, no, (laughs) GP GP Top Three, Top the GP Top Gear 300. The G, right? That's it. Uh, But we don't know how many kilometers. So, (laughs) this race was Kimi Raikkonen has some big expectations after the first race, no doubt, because he did pretty well for the first time ever seeing this track. Now he's had some laps in a stock car ish kind of vehicle. It did not go as well for Kimi Raikkonen as I'm sure he would have liked. He ended up starting 22nd. He finished 27th, and he had a rough day. He got popped for speeding while leaving pit road, which easy to do. Happens to the best. Mm-hmm. Happens to just ask Denny Hamlin. Yeah. Every weekend, just about. Later on, after that stop, goes out. A splitter fell off of somebody's car. He ran over it, and he said, I think it's stuck under the car. I don't think it passed out behind me. So he had to come in again, and sure enough, he was right. They did have a splitter, like, stuck underneath the car. <laughs> So that didn't help. And then there was this other recurring thing that happened. And I've got some audio of him talking on the radio. He kept having a problem with his water bottle. Apparently, Kimi Raikkonen, when he gets into a car, he is sucking it down because this is this is a, a compilation of some of the times where he complained about the water bottle not being full or having an empty water bottle or needing more water. Here you go. Next pit stop, I need more drink. More drink. Are we... Are we... Coming in the box this time. I need my drinking bottle. Hey, give me my drinking bottle. I'm out of the drink again. I don't know. It's so small, the drink bottle. You have to have Just hang on to it. Get me the fix here for the next stop. They'll get you right on the next stop. And remember, I need water. No tires, fuel, tear off in the drink. That's the wrong one. The wrong one. Where? What you shut? Because he gave you back the old drink bottle instead of the new one. 
So that that is him. Yes. At one point, if you didn't catch that, Kimi Raikkonen is complaining like crazy. Like, I need more water. Please give me more water. Water is really all this guy wants. He goes into the pits. He sticks an empty water bottle out. They take it and go, here you go. Another empty water bottle. It was the same one he handed them. They just gave it right back to him. And so then he drives off and he's like, where's the water? And they said, you gave him the wrong one. <laughs> so well, did you also catch on that second part? I think it was the second sound bite there. Uh, he's like, am I boxing this lap? And they're yes. like, yes, you're coming into the pits. Yeah. I, I just picture whoever screw chief was for that race was like, yeah, we call it the pits here. This yeah. Is America. I, I don't know. know what y'all do in Formula one. We call it America. Call it it's pits. America. We call it pit road. It's pits. It's pit road. It's not the <laughs> paddock. And we don't go to a box. We go to the pit box. If Larry McReynolds is there, you're going to drive through the pit box. You're not going (laughs) to. Can't you just imagine Larry Mack and Kimi doing a broadcast? No, no. I would just. Yes, I want that. I I mean, I do want to. I do want to imagine it. I just can't imagine. Can we just do that instead? Like instead of the drivers like doing the broadcast, can we just have like odd couples in the booth? Man, it's got to be better than whatever we're doing with Michael Waltrip, right? I mean, come on. Makes sense, right? That race, like I said, he started 22nd, finished 27th, and he was a little frustrated afterwards. But all in all, I mean, it was nothing that you saw in these races that he didn't belong. The main takeaway I had in watching these two races again was car control just out of this world. You know, it's hard to know how good the equipment was or, or how much he was being able to give feedback to the pit crew and all that. But he had multiple times in both races where... You know, he'd get in a little too hot in the corner. Someone would take his air off the back of his wing. And suddenly he's starting to go around or he'd be flirting up towards the wall and he'd save it. He he scraped the wall a couple times, but didn't ever, you know, wreck it or sideswipe it. And generally, I thought had a really good amount of car control, which is, you know, not surprising because he's a Formula One driver. What I also found interesting, though, was both races, most of the commentary was Hey, you know what? If this guy wants to do this, he he might just be able to make it in NASCAR. Ugh. The Formula One champion might be good at NASCAR. Do tell. Like, <laughs> do tell me. Tell do me tell some me more. About how the 43 at the time, best, greatest drivers in the world. Tell me how that is the, you know, Travis Kavapel is uh, obviously could uh, make the Formula One right. I mean, and it, smoke them in the I, uh, in a Renault. It come just, on, it was a little, it was more like, well, isn't it cute that he thinks he can come over here? And then at the end of it, they're like, hey, y'all, you know what he won so bad. They were treating it as if, you know, he was a complete amateur hopping in this car, like he won a contest. And I just found it very odd that that's the way, and I know that's how NASCAR still kind Bro. of perceives themselves at times, but... It's just weird to hear broadcasters not just spend the entire time going. It's amazing that Kimi Raikkonen is here. It's amazing that right. a guy who, and just, you know, showing whatever clips and highlights they can get the rights to, to show his car and show him, you know, hoisting a trophy and all that. It just feels like that would make a lot more sense. It's just to talk about how great of a driver he is, as opposed to, well, he might be able to do this NASCAR thing. We'd have to see. I, I need to know what he can do in the draft of Daytona. It's like, oh, <laughs> actually, that's a question I want to bring to you. I wonder what Kimi Raikkonen, if he had the opportunity of like a William Byron, you know, because I think sometimes people, the hesitation is, you know, it takes so much to learn how to drive a NASCAR stock car and all these other things. I think if you put him in William Byron's level of equipment, meaning a top tier team and give him a few years of intense training where that's all he's focused on, I think, would he do better than what William Byron is doing right now? I'm not trying to single that dude out. I'm just saying like, that's a guy who's looked at as a fairly bright spot, reasonably successful 
And he's had three and a half years to kind of get to that point. And I think he's only won, what, two races? Not Again, not whip. Not, and this is at the time we're recording. And by the time you listen to this, he may have won two championships. So, you know, take that all with a grain of salt. But I just, I, I wonder if Kimi Raikkonen would be able to do more than that. Right. And I think he would. It, it, I mean, this is a discussion I've seen before, you know, on many different posts, you know, conversations, whatever. Money does play a part in racing. Obviously, look up and down the grid in Formula One, look up and down the grid in NASCAR or IndyCar. If you've got money, you that's half the battle. But the other half of the battle is you got to be talented. So I think Kimi Raikkonen could absolutely come over here and be a top 10, top 15 driver in NASCAR. Um, just because the depth is not it, in every series, like Antonio Giovinazzi um, for Alfa Romeo or Nicholas Latifi. If they came to IndyCar, they'd probably be mid-pack, maybe. I mean, because there's really good drivers in IndyCar and there's subpar drivers in IndyCar. I mean, I, that's easy for a guy who drives a Honda Civic to say. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, as, as far as on the world scale. So if you take Scott Dixon, drop him in anything from, I would say, McLaren up on the grid, he's going to get you points every week um, in Formula 1. I, I have no doubt. Same with Jimmy Johnson. I could see him doing the same thing. He's that talented of a driver. And that's the thing. Like you look at Marcus Erickson came over here. Uh, Brandon Hartley has raced over here in different series and forms. These are Formula One drivers that haven't lit the world on fire. Romain Grosjean is, is coming over and he got a podium at Indy and the GP race. That actually was a GP race. Um, so if you look at it, there's there's opportunity, I think, for just the, the, the broader point is that you're gonna, in every series, there's a elite talent, right? And if they were able to switch series, we would see that elite talent transfer over. I mean, my gosh, I was at a mid-Ohio race a few years ago when Greg Biffle drove a stadium super truck. Uh, he was fast. Yeah, He was quick. I, I think he won yeah, the race. Yeah, I was at a race not a lot more recently than that and saw the same thing. Like, Greg Biffle still is doing that. So. Oh, he's still doing that. Okay. Yeah, actually, good, you know. Good to see Greg Biffle. Good, yeah. Know, good to see he's still around. You bring up a good point. Like, And it's interesting that you bring up those stadium series trucks because... Uh, the guy who owns those trucks is Robbie Gordon. Did you know Robbie Gordon factors into the Kimi Raikkonen story? Oh, do tell the yeah. old Speed Energy. Yeah, was it was that the sponsor that didn't come through that almost gave him an NASCAR career? Um, no, uh, not that I <laughs> not that I know of. But here's what it was. So he had obviously a truck race and an Xfinity race to learn the ovals. Kimi Raikkonen, though, according to uh, couple different people who are attached to Robbie Gordon apparently had a test set up with Robbie Gordon to test his cup car. This was at the time. For those who don't know, Robbie Gordon, legendary truck racer as far as off-roading and all that stuff. He has plenty of that in that world. He also, though, kind of got the reputation as like a road course guy, was a off-again, on-again, full-time NASCAR guy, but would often run the road courses. Oh, yeah, he, he owned his own, his own stuff. cars and he owned his own stuff. And he would show up at road courses and be competitive, be really oh, competitive. Yeah. Um, so apparently the guy who was in charge of setting up the deals for Kimi Raikkonen was Todd Hirschfield. Todd Hirschfield was Kimi's manager for races mm-hmm. in America. Um, so he reached out to Robbie Gordon about a test. And apparently they worked it out that Robbie Gordon had another obligation. Um, so they said, well, we got a car at a track. We've got an ability for you to get in it and go test it so that's what he did um Kimi Raikkonen went off uh, and I believe tested at uh VIR was that Virginia International Raceway I believe that's yep. the the, the road course in Virginia big, oh, the big tree at the hairpin that's what I know yeah they the um did he hit the tree 
I don't think he hit the track. Okay, oh, good. That's good. That's good. <laughs> but the test did not go well. Apparently, he turned some laps in the car, did okay, but unfortunately went off course and tore up the nose. Because at the time, remember, they had those giant splitters on these cars yeah. and went in the grass and it just, those things catch and like a shovel, they just dig in and it rips not just the front, you know, they wouldn't mind if it just ripped off the front sheet metal or carbon fiber, or whatever they were making them out of at the time. It's the fact that all the stuff underneath, all the hoses and vents and radiator and all that stuff, a lot of that gets ripped out too. Yeah, the whole thing gets ripped up. So that's a pretty expensive wreck. And I guess someone reached out to him um, after that incident, Robbie Gordon, and said, hey, is Kimi Raikkonen going to be able to drive for you at Sonoma or Watkins Glen? And apparently Robbie's remark was, maybe if he didn't wreck my car. Uh, So that seemed to put a little bit of an end to that. You know, later he said, look, I was letting him test it, but did you really think I was going to miss Sonoma? So who knows if it was just because of that wreck or what? The other thing here was that uh, crew chief Patrick Donahue, he actually responded to a Reddit post about all of this. Um, And he said that he was not really pleased with Kimmy's attitude during the test. According to Patrick Donahue, he said that was just a terrible day. He got out of the car and went to fly to Monaco. Didn't care that he just torn it up either. I was disappointed in the way he acted. I don't. I don't doubt. I, mean, I don't doubt that chief story. Is not, it, what crew chief is not, unless you're Ricky Stenhouse and they're actually banging away at all the wrecks you made at Roush and trying to fix them out and fabbing out stuff that you tore up. Like unless you're doing that in the shop, most crew guys are going to be mad if you continue to wreck their stuff. Yeah, and act like you don't care. Don't yeah. buy them donuts. Don't stop by and buy them lunch or take them up for a beer. And I mean, hey, thanks, here, man. Appreciate all your hard work. In an ideal world, right? Kimi Raikkonen, guy who's worth tens of millions of dollars at that time, if not more, could come in and just say, hey, guys, I'm sorry about this. Let me know what the check is. I'll cover this. I'm so sorry about this. You guys doing a great job, and I'm really sorry. You know, he could have had something like that. Instead, they said he pretty much got out and was like, as a Formula One driver would look at it, right, is, I don't know, you want me to push the car? I push the car. I pushed it too far? This is what I do. Like, I, like right. I assume the confidence level you have to have to be a Formula One driver or any race car driver, but especially at that level where you're on the edge of performance 24-7, uh, that you're on the track. I mean, every moment you're on the track, you are pushing the car to its limits. So no doubt you're going to go over the bounds. That's just how it works. This is the famous story, right, where what happens with him at Monaco, where he wrecks, he's out of the race, and few minutes later they see him walking around on a yacht you know i mean he's just yeah. he's well, just I mean, that he guy he's by his yacht and yes. in those races like you have to walk back or get carted back to your paddock and you're just gonna sit there and stew over a loss so you might as well just i mean if i was him i would have gone straight to my yacht and been like yep, yeah yeah i'm just gonna, gonna hang out here. here yeah absolutely i mean he's a guy who's just gonna do whatever he thinks is good in the moment i could see how developing in that world for so many years and then you wreck someone's you know piddly little nascar which it's not to these guys but to kimmy raikkonen i could see how it might be i can understand how he might have a poor attitude i'm not excusing it i'm saying that doesn't sound like something outlandish that could have happened right that seems very logical that that may have happened and that that would rub nascar people the wrong way who don't view this as a second rate sport these guys work in the sport it's very important to them yeah it's the it's the top of the pyramid of racing well and even that i just mean whatever car you work on it's important to you Right. Well, I mean, but yeah, but think about this, too. I mean, just even the NASCAR community, you know, before COVID, you had the best day in racing, which is Monaco for breakfast or Indianapolis for lunch and Charlotte 
in in NASCAR community circles, it's totally fine to like say like, hey, these are three equal races. You don't, you know, you don't, feel, that's, you don't feel that's the case. I don't feel the Coke 600 is an equal race to Indianapolis 500 or Monaco GP. No, I do not. Not now. Yeah. I think it used to be. I think, well, to I think you, it, I think it was big. Well, I just know. mean, I think back when, when all stock cars didn't last a thousand miles and have yes. no problem and yes. all their edges were bulletproof. I think that's, yes. yeah. When it be, when it was something where it's like, I know it's a slog for these drivers, but it, that's just because it's hot. <laughs> you yeah, know, well, and it's a long yeah. race. But I mean, as far as you don't have to necessarily nurse the equipment home, you do if you want to win. You got to be smart with your equipment. But if they want to make the Coke 600 the best race or the, you know, back to where it used to be, whatever, make it a big deal, limit the tires. Sure. You get as much I fuel as you want, that. but you got to limit the tires. You would have guys doing three or four different stra- strategies. Guys hauling ass the first or do a second tire, do a hard and a soft. Yeah. And you got to do. You know, so many laps in the hard or so many, you know, you only get this many sets of hard, this many sets of soft, and it's up to you to manage it. Mm-hmm. You could have a Sergio Perez um, moment where he went 53 laps on a set of mediums way past the tolerance level, uh, you know, yeah. at a race, which just happened recently. You could have that situation. Guys that are like one laps more on the softs or 10 laps more on the softs. And, you know, because of that, he's able to short pit and take two tires or whatever. Next thing you know, boom. You've got, yeah. I mean, it, that would be such, I'd be watching that for six hours. Yeah. I think yeah. that's, I think it's, it, NASCAR does have to figure out the Coke 600. I obviously think uh, Monaco and Indy are bigger. It's, it's a shame Monaco isn't on the same day, but I know that part of the reason F1 did that was because they wanted to offer the chance for F1 drivers who want to go run Indy to have that opportunity. Yeah. So. I, I hope it, I hope it becomes a thing next year. Yeah. I, I hope so that. too. Let's, let's fingers crossed on that. So to put a bow on what happened with Kimi Raikkonen after that uh, ill-fated test with the road course, that was it for him testing or running any more NASCAR equipment at that point. He did go back to Monaco. A couple years later, was convinced by Lotus to get back into F1 and then eventually found his way back to Ferrari. So took the story full circle, came back to Ferrari and actually had a pretty good year, I want to say, in 2018. Mm -hmm. I think he was right back up in the mix again. So... Yeah, Kimi Raikkonen just took a dip in in his time, got out of Na- or got out of F1, went to among other things rallying in NASCAR, and then went back to F1. Pretty amazing the, elite yeah. driver when you think about that if you can go and do all those type of things. Yeah, with a lifetime supply of perky jerky. I mean, <laughs> I, I say it's a win-win. That's all they paid him in was just boxes yeah, of jerky. Boxes and boxes. I mean, gobbles and gobbles and gobbles of turkeys you know what i would love to try some finnish jerky i bet the finnish people do it well i bet they do they're probably just like here is a dead bird eat it <laughs> it's been frozen we it's dumped just, some salt on it a month ago no, and it's good no, now no it's been it, it walked in the sauna with me and then now it's uh all cooked up yeah well. when we come back someone who's been around the f1 paddock for the better part of the last 20 years tells us what he thinks of the Iceman's time in nascar That's next, right here on Stagger. Welcome back to Stagger. Sean Kelly has a very interesting job. I am Formula One's de facto chief statistician. I do all of the facts and stats you hear in a Formula One television broadcast uh, on the on-screen graphics and through the uh, voices of the 
commentators and announcers around the world. I also escort a lot of the VIPs uh, around the paddock and the pit lane in my role as sort of a host for F1 Experiences and Paddock Club. Although, of course, we haven't done a lot of that during this pandemic-filled era. I was a fan since I was six years old, since 1987. And people often used to say to me while watching a race with me that I would point out stuff, yell stuff at the television, which wouldn't actually go into the broadcast until maybe 15 minutes later. And they always used to say, you should probably apply for a job. They'd probably find a use for you. And for years, I used to scoff at it and think, ah, it's pie in the sky. Why would they need someone like me? And eventually, I thought, oh, give it a shot. Let's see where we go. And I got hired by Speed Channel, the US broadcaster at the time, in 2003, and uh, slowly built up my my, uh, portfolio of contacts and so on and partners. And now I work for something like 15 or 16 networks as a freelancer. So if you watch an F1 telecast now you can't really escape me you might not know me but you'll certainly know the the material because you will have heard it on the air i've got a pretty good day job but i'm even jealous of what sean gets to do for a living sean also lives in america so he is at least aware of nascar he used to work for the speed channel which had nascar races on it so of all the people that i know that know about f1 sean struck me as someone who might be uniquely positioned to talk about Kimi raikkonen's time in nascar But before we go there, I just wanted to ask him, when you hear the name Kimi Raikkonen, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? (laughs) Someone who doesn't like doing interviews. (laughs) He doesn't really enjoy doing all of the nonsense that goes around driving a Grand Prix car. He likes that part, Um, but he's not. I think think he doesn't like, he doesn't enjoy being asked banal questions. And I don't think he, I don't think he really gets into the cult of personality. He's this Iceman figure who doesn't care or feel or anything like that. I don't think he really goes for that. I think that's an invention of the media. You know, I I get the impression a lot of the apathy he feels towards the media is based upon the fact that they create this idea of what he really is. But as a driver, it was phenomenal when he hit the scene back in 2001. He'd only done 23 car races when he arrived in Formula One, which is an absurdly low number. Uh, And he was was a standout rookie, ended up at McLaren the following year. And he was fantastic at McLaren. He, He was obviously world champion material, which he eventually fulfilled that potential at ferrari still still box office still a major draw i'd say he's worth his place on the grid simply for the amount of attention he draws right a tremendous talent who hates dealing with the media a perfect recipe for a nascar pit road Hauska tavata i asked sean if he remembered the day that it was announced that kimi raikkonen would be driving in nascar for a couple of races i was in the office at speed channel when raikkonen was uh, signed up to do, and he did sign up to do a, um, a nation, well, it was a nationwide race at the time, as it was called, and a truck series race. And his sponsor was Perky Jerky. And I recall the press release, and it had a quote from Kimi Raikkonen, which my boss read out. And my boss, bear in mind, my, my boss was the executive producer on F1. And he says, let me read this to you, and blah, 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 blah. This is from Raikkonen. It says, I can't wait to be associated with Perky Jerky, the delicious turkey snack. And we were all like, Kimi Raikkonen did ne- never would say those words. Someone, a PR person has written that. There is no way P- Kimi Raikkonen would ever utter those words out loud. And we just thought, he, I can't think of somebody less well-equipped to be in NASCAR than Kimi Raikkonen. It just doesn't, does not compute. It's a complete clash of cultures. And it still blows my mind that it happened today. That he actually went to NASCAR, did a truck race and a nationwide race, and then came back to Formula One after that and won races. He gets just fed up with these banal questions and the stupid 
you know, comments trying to be funny. Hauska Tavata. Which she just thinks is not really funny. Like, I've heard it a thousand times. I think that's the stuff that, that creates his, his grumpy persona towards the media. It's just, the media, it's kind of doing it themselves. You know, they, they want the grumpy Kimmy. They don't want normal Kimmy. So they make him out as being this sort of unusual cartoon character person. And that's a good example. All that in mind, Kimi Raikkonen is set to leave Formula One again. And this time it'll probably be for good. He's also been asked if he would come back to NASCAR and didn't rule it out. So I asked Sean Kelly, would it surprise him if Kimi Raikkonen turned up at a NASCAR road course sometime in the future? It wouldn't. The idea of putting Raikkonen in a stock car around Circuit of the Americas um, or Indianapolis, you know, both of which he's driven in F1. You have to believe that he would be among one of the best road course ringers that they would have in NASCAR. So, as you you know, as you said, a Formula One world champion could probably handle stock car. Bearing in mind everything happens in slow motion by comparison to an F1 car, it would be yeah, so. It wouldn't be as surprising. And of course, there's there's the fact that he dipped his toe in the water a long time ago. So he, it's not a completely alien environment to him. It's still an odd environment, but not totally alien. And Raikkonen is Raikkonen. I mean, he is. He is a massive name, and you have to believe that, that there would be big money involved just because, of course, there's, I mean, there's big money in NASCAR anyway, but you have to believe that there'd be a sponsor out there that would be willing to take the punt on putting Raikkonen in a car for 12 or 13 races just because it's Raikkonen. I mean, look at Roman Grosjean in IndyCar. There's been huge coverage of Grosjean's IndyCar adventure. Grosjean you know, never won a Grand Prix. Raikkonen won the World Championship. So, yeah, you can see that there's there's big potential there if, if he wants it. That's the ultimate thing is... It just depends which way the wind is blowing for him. If he doesn't fancy it, you just go off back to Switzerland or Finland, whichever, whichever house he wants to go to, and uh, you just hang out there. You know, it's he's made more than enough money. He doesn't need the money. It's just a case of does he really want to do it? Mm, okay, I don't think he'll want to do it with you know some bit part player. It'll need to be Rick Hendrick or you know Richard Childress, or it needs to be a big player. You know, why Why would Raikkonen go to a back-of-the-field team or some team that can't qualify? It needs to be logically one of the big players. My final question for Sean was the same hypothetical situation I presented earlier in the podcast. If you gave someone like Kimi Raikkonen, at this point in his career, a three-year opportunity with one of the biggest teams in NASCAR, Hendrick, Gibbs, etc., would he be able to achieve championship-level success? Maybe not win a cup, but be in the running, in the playoffs, possibly even the final four. That's ovals, that's short tracks, that's super speedways, and of course, road courses. Would Kimi Raikkonen flourish in NASCAR in the right equipment? That would be a minimum expectation for both sides involved. You know, if Kimi was committing to three years of that, then the minimum expectation is we're going to win. I, I couldn't, I'm not sure I could necessarily see Kimi committing to it. <laughs> I think I, yeah. I, I think it's more likely it's more likely if they said, hey, Kimmy, you want to come to America? Just do the road course races, for instance, and just, you know, just dabble. I, I think that's a more realistic expectation. The idea that he'd do full, you know, the full cup series, that just seems no, he's not just not going to do that. It's just it's so much. It, there's so much travel and racing and travel and racing and PR. And it is it is a grind. It doesn't matter how much money is involved. And of course, Kimmy does not need, that's one thing he doesn't need. He doesn't need the money. So why would he commit to that? Unless, unless the expectation was he was going to win the title. I think it's more reasonable to think he might just come along, be a road course ringer, thrash everybody at Kota or um, Sonoma, 
and then clear off back to Europe and drive a rally car again or something like something ridiculous, something he hasn't thought to drive yet that we haven't thought of. That he'll, you know, he'll make his debut in the hill climbing championships or something. You know, or start doing those uh those massive buggies that they race up the side of quarry faces in Iceland. He'll do that. We'll get him in a dragster doing top fuel NHRA yes, stuff. Yes, I, I, he'd be up for that. I, I, he, that's the kind of thing I think where he would think, actually, that sounds cool. I'm in. You can follow Sean Kelly at Virtual Statman on Twitter to keep up with all of his thoughts on F1 and other things. That's it for us this week. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we appreciate you leaving a nice review on your favorite podcast app and or tweeting out the episode link to people that follow you. You can also use Facebook or Instagram. It really doesn't matter. Just as long as you're letting people know about the show, we appreciate it. We'll be back next week with another new episode. Until then, Hauska Tavata.